So we're in our series called Afterglow, and an afterglow is a glow that remains even after a light is gone. And what we, here's what we've been doing. We've been pulling up a chair inside of a closed room, and we've been listening in to the words of Jesus to his disciples on the night before he's arrested. We've just been sitting down, pulling up a chair and listening in, and we've been listening into words that have left an afterglow that remain to this day. And today, we're coming to the end of the sermon. This is the end of the sermon. Next week, we're going to get into the prayer that follows the sermon, but this is the end of his farewell sermon the night before he goes to the cross. So you better believe that these are going to be some words of epic proportion. So Jesus, what he does, he ends this sermon by giving us an equation. And it's an equation that brings us peace, an equation that brings peace. And in light of everything that happened down south, the shooting down south, you can bet that we need some peace right now. So that is what he brings us. That is the equation. So here's what he says. He's ending the sermon. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. The disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So here's the equation. Our failure plus his victory equals our peace. Our failure plus his victory equals our peace. And this actually, this is an equation for revival. And this word, this word revival, we kind of, we misunderstand what this word is all about. We think of tents that are outside of a church, but that is nothing about what a revival is. A revival is about something that is happening in the tent of your heart. And this inside of this tent in your heart, this passion starts overwhelming you and flowing out of you. And what happens is it flows out of you and it begins to change the society around you because of what's happening inside of the tent of your heart. Revival is about turning to God. Revival is about a peace with God, a peace with each other, and a peace with yourself because you have turned to God. In the midst of a life that is filled, a world that is filled with tribulation, with shootings, with death, he has a victory now that will give us peace. The victory has already been accomplished now. 
And who wouldn't argue that obviously we are getting some things wrong right now? Who would not make that argument? With all the mass shootings that we've seen in a year, humanity is failing and we are coming up with empty solutions over and over and over again. We are in need of a real solution. I'm seeing argument after argument on Facebook, people throwing out solutions. Here's a solution to the problem. Here's a solution to the problem. And there's arguing back and forth. And nobody, I have not seen one person say, you know, our problem is maybe we just need to turn to God. Nobody. I didn't see one post. But the posts are flooded with all of these solutions that are not going to fix the problem because we are not turning to God. Our hearts are in need of revival. Humanity is in need of revival. And the first part of the equation that we have to get, to get our hearts, to get our loved ones, we want to see our loved ones move to peace. And so the first part of the equation that we've got to deal with is our own failure to turn to God. That's step one. We are, we are, come on, we are actively ignoring God in our life the way he's called us to live. We are so far from God right now. And that's just step one is just realizing that that is what we're doing. So I want us to just consider, just to consider right now that there are areas in our life that we want God to have nothing to do with. We want to turn away from him in this area of our life or that area of life. There are places we'd rather keep God out. You know, you have these picture. Take, take a picture. You've got a picture. Let's pretend you have a picture of God that's just following you around everywhere you go. Somehow we've managed to capture the, the sovereignty and the glory of God in this picture. So we've got it and it's following you around. And you're cool with this picture looking at you on Sunday mornings and in your quiet time. But then you go about your day and you're like, right now I'm going to put this picture down. I'm just going to flip it over because I don't want God in this part of my life. I don't want him to see the things that I'm doing right now. And here's the problem. As soon as we let God in, as soon as we turn towards him, we lose control because he's God and we don't get to live the way we want to live. So we just want to put the picture down. So he has no say. But listen, we have our own version of peace, our own equation for peace, and we keep pushing God out of it. So that means God is not actually in our equation. I mean, if we take just, if we're just taking an honest assessment of our lives, there are a lot of areas where we don't want God in. So you're a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you come in here on Sunday morning, you let God in. You in your quiet time, you let God in. But are you going beyond that and letting God come into every, I mean, if he is the main thing, all of life should be oriented around him. Are we really doing that? You know, a common thing I hear people say is, you know, I would turn to God more I would believe in all of this more if I could just see God. Like if I could just see him, then it would all be different. Everything would change for me. Christian and skeptic alike, we're all saying this. If we say, I hear people say this all the time. If I could just see Paul, I mean, if I could see Jesus the way that Paul did, if I could just do that, then that would change everything for me. And here's what I would say. Are we really sure about that? And here's why I asked that question. There was a time 
according to scripture, when we could see God, greater than Paul saw Jesus. We were with him as we were meant to be, and it is a truth that has become legend, and then a legend that has become myth, but that's what scripture is telling us. And that's the only thing that makes sense for why we are so unhappy with the world it is, because we were made for another world, and we were one day in that world, and we had peace then with God. But what happened? We were with him in paradise. Humanity saw God and didn't believe that the best thing for them to do was to listen to God. Didn't love him and trust him enough to say, I'm going to live the way that you've called me to live. And so we, humanity, we turned our backs on God And then when we did that, we were then scattered out of paradise. And now the rest of our lives, we are now spent searching for this peace of paradise. The peace of paradise, the peace that comes with paradise again. And it's a distant calling to us, but we can't seem to shake it. We're unsatisfied over, over, and over again. And we still want paradise, but if we're honest, we're still just like Adam and Eve. We want the peace of paradise without the God of paradise. And it doesn't work that way. We keep chasing paradise, but we keep turning from God. We want the peace of paradise, but not the God of paradise. And we want our loved ones to be at peace, like we want them to be at peace. But we have so little expectation that God can deliver for us and that God can deliver for our loved ones. You know how I know that? Because of the way we use our time. Our kids are so, I said this last week, our kids are so involved in so many things. And God is just part of this little sliver. Like, I can prioritize God this part, but everything else here, this is for school. This is for their extracurricular activities. This is for this. All the while, we're ignoring God, who is our peace. We have so little expectation of God. And look at the disciples did the same thing. This is not just us. Look at the disciples. They saw Jesus and they loved him, but they loved him because they thought he could bring them to the peace of paradise. They didn't think he was their peace. He didn't think he was their paradise. And so when things go wrong, they bail. They turn their back on him. When he's arrested, they're running from him. They're running. And, and he, said, he said they were going to do it. This is no surprise. This is what was going to happen. He said it. He said, Jesus, they said, we believe in you. And Jesus says, oh, do you believe in me? You believe that I'm the peace of paradise? Well, let me tell you, you're going to scatter and leave me. The same way your father and mother, Adam and Eve, were scattered out and turned their backs on me, you're going to do the same thing. We still have them in us. We are the, their children. The same blood of Adam and Eve flows through our veins. We do the same thing. Jesus says, you're going to be just like them. Jesus, or Peter, so confidently says to Jesus earlier, I will go to you to your death. And 
Jesus says, oh, will you, Peter? Actually, what's going to happen is you're going to deny me because the blood of your father flows through your veins. We do the same thing. There's a story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Jonah's running from God. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you the story, and a bunch of you afterwards are going to be like, hey, tell me, do you really think that Jonah and the whale, is that a true story, or do you think that's a parable? And right now, I don't even want you to think about that right now. I just want you to listen in to this story. In this story, God wants to rescue this whole group of people called the Ninevites. And he's sending Jonah to go and tell them to turn back to God because they've been running from God. They've been running from the peace of paradise and they're running right into death. They're running right into this, this, the wrath of death. So now the problem for Jonah is very big because Jonah's greatest enemies are the Ninevites. And God wants to call them back. And so Jonah does not want to go because Jonah knows that if they turn, God is going to be gracious to them. And Jonah does not want that. Jonah does not want what God wants. Jonah wants them to rot in hell. So Jonah does exactly the same thing that the Ninevites do, run from God. And he runs and runs and he runs all the way to a ship. And then he gets on the ship and he is set in his mind. He's going to get as far away from God as he can. So he gets on the ship and he sets sail and he sails into the waters. Now in the Old Testament, the water represents wrath. The water represents death. And so he's getting as far away from God. And where does it lead him? Right into this wrath of death. And then he's thrown overboard right into the waters. And then he is swallowed up by this whale of death. And then it's in this whale of death that he says, maybe I should turn back around. And so he does. He says, okay, God, let's go do this. And the whale spits him out. Now, this is as if to say God is saying to Jonah, hey, you are no different than the Ninevites. You are running from them. You are running from me the same way they are running from me. Now, Jonah was a prophet of God called to do this. The disciples are God's chosen people who are called to all the nations to go and call people to turn back the same way that Jonah was calling people to turn back. They were doing it. God's chosen people to change the world did it. A prophet of God did it. Is there no one who doesn't run from God? No. We all run from God, all of us. We're all doing it, not even one of us, running and running and running. The question is, here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Once you realize you are running from God, what will you do? What will you do once you realize? Peter, when he realized what he had done, in denying Jesus, he got a sense of clarity. And then he got a sense of panic. But he turned back to God because he knew that God would be gracious. But listen, he got a sense of clarity about what he had done. And then he got a sense of panic that set in about what he had done. You know that feeling you get when you really like mess up? 
and the sense of clarity comes in. You're like, oh no, what have I done? Like, why wasn't I clear about this before? But now all of a sudden it's very clear. Why is this happening now? Why couldn't I have seen this before? But it happens. And then after that, you get this sense of panic that settles in. You're like, oh no, what have I just done? Like I would have these dreams like that I've done something horrible and I wake up in this extreme panic and then, oh, it's just a dream. God, thank God that happened. It was a dream. Um, so I was watching this movie. It's called The Big Sick. And in this movie, there's a guy and he cheats on his wife. And after he does it, he says his intense clarity came and he knew what he did. And then he had this deep sense of panic about what he did. And that is what happens when we, if we really, if we get the clarity about our own running from God, our own turning away from God, if we will get that clarity, it will set in a panic. So we kind of don't want the clarity to come because we don't want to experience the panic. But what I'm saying, just let it come. Because then we say, well, what are we going to do now? I want to tell you this. Only if you think God is gracious will you turn back to him. Otherwise, you just keep on running and running. That's what Judas did. Judas did what he did to Jesus and betrayed him. But had Judas thought that God is gracious, he would have turned. But in Judas's mind, God was only a God of wrath and not also a God of love. And so he ran and ran and ran and he ran right to his death. He could have come to him forgiveness. But he did not think God would forgive him. But he would have because he promises he would in scripture. Now, that sounds bad and I'm going to make it worse. <laughs> so, here's what else we see. We can't turn back to him. We just, we can't do it. We are in a world where the blood of Adam and Eve have fertilized this ground and it is set upon a virus of evil spread all throughout. And we are hearing silent whispers. We are in bondage to this evil that is silently whispering to us, telling us, run from him, run from him, run from him. And we don't even realize that this is happening, but it's happening all around us. And we're like, yes, I'm running, I'm running. And we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. Here's what I want you to see. We're just like Adam and Eve, we're just like Jonah, and we're just like his disciples. We are running towards this wa these waters like Jonah, these waters of wrath, these waters of death. And the problem runs so deep that we can't even seem to turn back. Evil has a hold of us. And its grip is tight. And listen to this. Then in Jeremiah, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things, it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Oh. What that is saying is we keep doing things that we don't even know why we're doing them. Like we're, we say, ah, I need to turn back to God, but we can't seem to do it. We just keep doing the things we know we shouldn't be doing, and we can't seem to stop doing the things that we know we should be doing. Why are we doing it? Because our heart is deceitful. Our heart is sick above all things. And even our doubting, 
when I'm doubting God, I'm doubting him, doubting him. This is just another version of me running from him. It's really, I mean, look at the Bible, watch the storyline of scripture. It's all we really know how to do. If humanity has perfected something, it is this. We are really good at running from God. Really good. Okay, at this point, I hope I've communicated something to you. Out of love, I hope what I have communicated to you is in one sense, we are doomed. Because we are running, and we're running, and we're running, and we can't stop doing it. And there's nothing inside of us that's going to turn us around. Outside of us, there's nothing we can do. Inside of us, nothing we can do. Turning around is something that is outside of us. And out of love, I want to communicate that to you. Now, if you've gotten to... Good. Okay, good. I want to scare the hell out of everybody. Now, listen, if you've gotten to this place, you're feeling a bit desperate. This is birth of revival in your heart. This is right where God wants you to be. This is what happens right before revival happens, right before renewal happens in your heart. We come to this position where we're in desperate, where we're panic. So I just want just even more, just feel the panic for a minute. Just let it settle in. And now listen to this. But Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. I have overcome the world. This means he has claimed victory over our sin of running from God. He has claimed victory over the death that awaits us as we run as far away from God as we can get. He's claimed victory over that. He's claimed victory over the evil that keeps whispering to us and causing us to do the things that we don't even know why we're doing them. Essentially, what he is saying is that you are doomed. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do to stop you from running from me. The the world has hold of you. Sin has hold of you. Evil has hold of you. Death has hold of you. You are a slave to sin, death, and evil. But, and you are too far gone to turn back, but take heart, I've overcome it all. That's what he wants you to hear. That's what he wants you to know. He wants you to feel desperate because it's only then that you will make that turn. Take heart. I've come out, I've overcome it all. I am turning you around, so turn. Isn't that interesting line? I am turning you around, so turn. This is the way the Bible talks about it. God is turning us, but we're turning too. He is turning us, but then he says, but turn. I don't understand that. I don't know what that means. I just know that we're turning and God is turning us. Many times, listen, many times, the love of God, like if we're, if the love of God displayed on the cross doesn't make sense to people, do you know why it doesn't make sense to someone? Because that person is not feeling desperate enough. We're all, we're all this. We, we are not realizing how desperate we are. We don't, this is what happens. You don't think you need to be saved from anything. If we don't think being a sinner, standing 
I mean, why is he talking about victory? Because he had to accomplish something for us. He is the victor. If we don't think standing, a sinner standing before a perfectly holy God is something that we should tremble over, if we don't think that, then the cross will never make any sense to us. It doesn't make any, there's no use for it. If you will see why the cross is so important, it will begin to stir revival in your heart. But let me show you, the point of the cross is to purchase our forgiveness, which makes us see God's great love and then kindles in us this revival. And the resurrection will not change you unless you believe that Jesus has defeated sin and death and evil. Listen, revival doesn't happen in the heart. Renewal doesn't happen in the heart unless you realize you need a rescuer and then you reach for one and find one in Christ. And we minimize our need for a rescuer. And do you know why we do this? Because you know what happens if you have a rescuer? You know what happens when you have someone comes to rescue? You give yourself over to them. So if we give ourselves over to a rescuer, that means that rescuer is now teaching us how we ought to live. He's still rescuing us. And so that means we have now lost control and we do not want to lose control. So we minimize our need for a rescuer. The second reason we minimize our need for a rescuer is because we don't really believe God is gracious. And if we don't think he's gracious, we don't think he's going to forgive us, then we have to minimize our need. Otherwise, we're doomed. But what the good news is that God is gracious. Judas didn't think God would be gracious to him, so he never turned back to him. He just continued to run and run and run. But Peter, in the midst of his failure, he turned back to God. And he felt the beauty of grace showering over him. He trusted in victory, but he also trusted that not only is Christ victorious, but he is gracious as well. Here's what I'm trying to get us to see. If we don't come to a place where we feel helpless, we'll never reach for a rescuer. And that makes complete sense. It's complete logical sense. You would never reach for a rescuer unless you think you needed one. And what's so interesting is as soon as you realize you can't turn back to him and you say, oh, God have mercy on me. That's when he turns you. When you get to the place to where you realize you need a rescuer, that's as soon as he rescues you. In his victory, when you die, he brings you back to life. In his victory, he takes your sin and he gives you freedom from it. In his victory, he takes the whispers of evil and he lays them out. He rescues you from it all. And I got to tell you guys this, the church today has lost sight of this message, of there being a rescuer. 
That's why people will come to me and they'll say, I've never heard it said that way before. Because do you know why? Because here, Christianity has become commercialized to say this. You can do it. You can do this. Like, come on, let me give you a pep talk. You can do this. You got this. Just come on. You can do this. And then people are like, yep, I can do this. And then do you know what that's done? Christ has become irrelevant because you no longer need a rescuer because you can do it. What's the point of all of this? Like, You come to Christ for a motivational speech and he gives you this. But then, but then once you hear that, you take hold of him. And this is so much greater than being motivated. This is being rescued. This is what Christianity is offering. Not a little bit better of a life because you're thinking more positively, but a whole new life, a whole new heart, a whole new world. If we think about the shooting that happened and we could just say, you know what, let's stop trying to come up with these small solutions and let's just start turning to Christ. Let's see our failure and let's turn back to God. And listen, more people that do this, the more society has changed. I believe it from the bottom of my heart. Now listen though, that doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen, but the more people who are turned, the more our society will be changed. More people who turn Back to Christ. If this kid, this 19-year-old kid that went into school and shot all of these high school students, had he turned to Christ, we would not be having this conversation right now. The point is turning back to God. Let's throw away all these empty solutions. And not only... Does this bring us peace socially, but internally? There's a peace that is brought to you through Christ. Look, if you minimize your need, if you minimize your inability to rescue yourself, I mean, if, well, if, if you believe, if, if, if you minimize your inability to rescue yourself, you're minimizing your need for a victorious Savior, so here's what that does. You are left on your own dealing with sin, death, and evil. And that does not bring you peace at all. But if you have someone who's come and rescued you, you have peace. Peace is to know that God loves you no matter what you have done because of what Christ has done for you. And what he has done, his finished work on the cross. To have peace now is to know that you've been rescued. Victory is already won. It's to, it, it isn't that in your hands to save yourself because you can't, but Christ has done it. It's all about finding victory in him. You know, if you watch a scary movie with your kids, which I'm not saying you should do that, but if you do, here's probably what happens. They're turned away from you and they're watching the scary movie and then it gets really scary. What do they do? They turn away from the movie. They don't want to look at it. And where do they turn? Right to you. And they come and they crawl up into your arms for comfort, for peace, because you are the one who comforts them. That is what it is like to feel that moment of desperation. It's to crawl up into the arms of your rescuer who gives you peace beyond what anything else in this world can give you. 
to feel hopeless without him. And Christianity is trying to convince you that you are. It's not trying to motivate you. If anything is motivating you, go to him. Now, aren't you tired of walking around with guilt? He frees you from that because he paid the penalty of your guilt on the cross. Aren't you tired of sinning? Just keep doing the things that you don't want to be doing over and over and over again. He'll transform you. Aren't you tired of fearing death? He laid death in its grave. We will continue to run. But his grace will chase us down. If realize he's victorious and he's gracious that will turn you so we are driving here today and crew said i had a dream that i ran away from home and it got darker darker and he said but then i found the biggest church in the world and they said go back home and so he said, and so I did. And then the story turned into, there's a bunch of wolves and all this crazy stuff. But, but listen, listen. We have left our home with God and we have run. The church is the most relevant thing in all the earth because the church is what calls us to go back home to God, to turn back to him. I want to tell you what Jonah said to the Ninevites. So Jonah finally turns around, does what God wants him to do, and he goes to the Ninevites. Now he's still, like, he, honestly, like, if I'm going to be clear about it, like, he's still pissed that he's got to go do this. He has no effort that he is bringing into what God wants him to do. He doesn't have a great uh, inspirational speech to give. He doesn't have a church growth strategy. Here's what he says. He says, he rolls into Nineveh and he says, in 40 days, the city will be overthrown. Mic drop, done. He's out. In 40 days, the city will be overthrown. Now, I want to tell you what happened. Revival broke out. <laughs> 40 days, city will be overthrown. Mic drop out, revival. Now, here's what happened. The Ninevites realized that they were hopeless. So here's what the king said. The king of Nineveh said, let everyone turn from his evil way. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And God did because he's gracious. I, maybe we need to be bold enough to look at what's really going on inside of our hearts, to, look at the, the, to be so bold as to look at the way we are treating God, to as, look at the way we are turning away from God, and maybe we'll get to the point to where we feel desperate enough perhaps we'll finally reach for a rescuer. God, who pays the price for our sins with his life. We ran from God, and he ran and obeyed God right to the cross in order to pay the penalty for what we have done. 
we will perhaps discover a God who in the resurrection has broken the power that sin has over us and we become transformed. We perhaps will discover a God who has defeated death and laid it in its grave. We perhaps will discover a God who has taken evil and has laid it out for us. He is your victor. And he is the greater Jonah who raced into the belly of the whale, not as a guilty runner, but as an innocent, an innocent son of God following after what they planned before the foundations of the earth, running right into the belly of death. Why? So that we can in our, we can take hold of him when we turn to him so that when the whale spits him out, this whale of death spits us out, spits him out, he brings us with him. Our failure plus his victory equals our peace. The peace of paradise is calling you through a savior who has come and died, but he has also risen and, hit, and your voice is being called through his cry on the cross. It is finished. Done for you. Victory is accomplished. Let's just let this revival start in our hearts. Whatever's holding us back, whatever makes us say, I don't want, I don't want God in this area of my life. God, we're going we're gonna to keep doing it again, guys. I mean, just, we're going to do it. Here's what I'm saying. Let's just keep turning to him more and more. Let's go to him every single day and let's cry out for mercy because he's going to give it to us and he's going to shower us with it because he promised us that he will. All right, so what we're going to do now is normally... After, at this point, I'll pray, and then um, we'll do some songs and then pray again. But we're just going to have our, our longer prayer time right now. And, and what I want you to do is, as we're praying, I want you to, be, I mean, listen to what I'm praying, but begin to start feeling that the moment of desperation and then the moment of reaching for a rescuer and then feeling that, that, that time where he takes hold of your hand and rescues you. And as we're singing, just reflect on that, but then also sing out to your rescuer, okay? All right, let's pray. God, I pray that we would understand these words that you have spoken to us today in your word, that you are victorious for us, that these wouldn't be just words that are meaningless and pointless, but we would see our great need for rescue. God, don't let us lose sight of this. Help us to turn to you. And when we try to run from you, chase us down and get people in our lives that are going to help us turn back to you. And God, we don't want this truth to stay here. We want it to go out among our city, among all the nooks and crannies of our city and carry on into all the ends of the earth. And that's what your word does. It's what it's been doing. So let us, God, with faith, take hold of these truths and be changed by them. God, kindle in us belief. And then let us keep coming to your word so that this flame might be fanned.
God, this is all, this is all pointless if our hearts are not with you. Just show us your grace so we might finally fall to our knees and say, we are yours, God. And then let us run as rescued people knowing that we have a rescuer who has conquered our sin, has conquered death, has conquered evil, and there is a world that awaits us that is beautiful and perfect. And let that news travel out today. God, in for us, in our own hearts now, and all the things that are going on in our lives. God, you know what's going on in each and every one of our lives, and you know where we're at with you, and you know where our family's at with you, you know where our friends are at with you, and you know the difficulties that we're walking through. You say in the text today that life is, this walking through this life that will bring tribulation. So as it comes, God, I pray that we would reach for you more. God, I know that if we could just get with you more, that things would start making more sense to us. So help us to stop turning away from you and turn towards you more and more and more so we can make sense of life in this world. God, give us a rush of clarity of what we have done, a rush of panic, but then a rush of grace that frees us from all things that are not you. Forgive us, God, and have mercy on us. Let us taste the grace over and over and over again. God, you are good. We trust you. Help us to believe in you more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.